Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As I was saying, if you are a golfer, the mecca because of its exclusivity, if nothing else. I know the birthplace of golf is St. Andrews in Scotland. I get that. But for me, if I could find a way to tee it up at Augusta National, oh my goodness gracious. Oh, welcome to, as I was saying, Preston Scott here with you. Uh, the Masters coming up soon, but first, it's the Augusta National Women's Amateur and a player from Monticello, Megan Schofield, joined me on the program. She's going to tee it up next week, and her resume is incredible. And we got to talking about, well, playing the course. Okay, so have you, you've never played Augusta National? I have played once. Okay, what, fun. what was that experience? Well, how did you pull that off? I honestly don't know. I kind of just lucked into it, and a member invited me. And okay. Okay. Everything worked out for For those of you listening that don't know, you don't just play a round of golf at Augusta National. I'll just leave it at that. All right. So you're going to play now. What are you most looking forward to? Just seeing how your game measures up to other players on that course or how your game measures up to Augusta National? I'm really looking forward to seeing how my game measures up when I make the cut in a competitive round at Augusta National. Just because, like, when I played there for fun, like, I played pretty well, actually, but it's a completely different scenario when you're playing for fun and when you're playing in a tournament. Like, there's a whole lot of pressure because you know, like, oh, my gosh, I'm at Augusta National playing a competitive round. Like, the second time ever in history that a woman has played a competitive round there. Tell me this. Did, I'm did, to play with everyone. Did you grow up watching the Masters on the weekends? Yeah, I always watched the Masters on the weekends. And I have I went to the Masters on Sunday in 2019 when Tiger won. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, but, so that was, that's the only Masters I've been to, so it's a pretty good one. <laughs> but there's nothing like seeing the golf course from inside those ropes. And so... Yeah, it's pretty cool what was it like to for example hit amen corner and to see those those iconic holes in person with a golf club in your hands it really created like um i had a much better like appreciation for it just because those holes are pretty tough like 12 is a really good golf hole and like on tv it's like 135 and you're like oh my gosh like how are these guys making four five six seven on it and then when you play it, you're like, well, I can actually see how it's done. Like, it's very easy to get a big number on some of those holes coming down the stretch. Like, it's just, it's such a good layout. Like, the golf course is it's just amazing, honestly. Like, it really makes you appreciate the game of golf and everything that it can do. Megan, I remember Tom Weiskopf, one of the greatest swingers in golf history, making a 12 on 12, I think it was. So, um, yeah, it happens. Um, how do you feel your game is going into the tournament? 
I'm feeling pretty good. I've had a couple weeks off because my sister just got married last weekend, so I didn't get to go to our last event. But I've been working on some things in my game that I needed to improve and change a little bit some things. And I feel like I'm in a good spot right now, and I'm playing really well, and I'm excited to go play competitive rounds again. I know it's weird doing a show like this on the radio, but I'm just going to tell you, you are welcome anytime you have time to spare because I'm now a huge fan. Uh, and I and I wish nothing. I, I I love golf, loved it my whole life. Like you, I started when I was a kid. Um, but I want nothing but the best for you, Megan. Really enjoy the experience next week, and and I really seriously, I would love to have you on the show again. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Play well. Thanks. Bye. All right, Megan Schofield. <sighs> wow. No, folks. She's. She played in seven events as a freshman at Auburn. She finished in the top ten in four of them as a freshman. Come on. She's a player. It's the morning show with Preston Scott. Yeah, you know, backstory here. My dad used to do the 18th hole at Augusta National for CBS television back in the day. He told me once his, the fav- his favorite sport to do was baseball because he could stay in a city more than one day and he got to see friends and meet up with folks that he had forged relationships with over the years in sports casting and he just the stability being in a town for more than a day and then flying out but the event he loved doing more than any other event was the masters and i've never been there i Keep thinking that maybe I ought to go sometime. My wife really wants to go. She just wants to see the scenery that is Augusta National. And and it is beautiful. There's no doubt about that. I just have to I have to get past my my prejudice because I actually really enjoy watching golf on TV more because you just see more golf. But anyway. Um Pleased to have with me as one of my special sponsors on, as I was saying, Heinz Nurseries. Heinz Nurseries, of course, is where I go when I need to get work done in my yard. And that's where you ought to go as well. Heinz Nurseries has everything you're looking for. And don't forget about sod. Now's a great time to get sod in the ground. So as you St. Augustine said a peed, call ahead. And they'll have it ready for you. They've got it by the piece or the pallet. And so it's real simple. Just call and tell them you want to pick up a few pieces or you want to get an entire pallet or whatever it is you need. They'll deliver it as well. But uh, whatever you're looking for, mulching, soils, plants, plants that grow in our part of the state. 4140 Bradfordville Road, just past Target. Online at HeinzNurseries.com. 668-0961. More of As I Was Saying in a moment. Welcome back to As I Was Saying, because 15 hours just isn't enough. I'm Preston Scott. How are you? Got to keep you up to speed on what's going on in the legislative session. No excuses. You've got to know what's happening. And so each week during the session, 
I talked to Sal Nuzo of the James Madison Institute. He's vice president of policy and gives us a snapshot of the week that was and the week that is to come. We're distilling it the best we can. Let's start with the governor. Sure. Uh, big deal with the governor. Uh, last week, uh, there was a meeting in the Capitol between the governor and several uh, members from the gambling interest community, uh, paramutuals, poker rooms, etc. cetera, uh, and they're trying to... Uh, iron out a gambling deal. Now, I know that this is something that has been discussed year after year. We're going on year, I think it's 10, without a deal between the state and the tribe on a gambling compact. And so it seems like a little bit of Lucy in the football. Every time they put it down, they yank it back. But uh, this comes on the heels of a report, I believe it was the Miami Herald had put out, that uh, House Speaker Sprouls was meeting uh, with uh, the owner of the Fountain Blue down in Miami, and so there's a little bit more going on than prior sessions with respect to this dynamic that I think is gives it a little bit more momentum, more momentum than in previous years. What do you think is changing most notably? Um, I think a number of uh, of the interests are coming to the table. I am not certain as to the uh, tribe's posture in terms of how uh, they're going to view ev- anything, but. Uh, notably, it was typically the House, if I remember correctly, in prior years that would kind of put the kibosh on a lot of the policy that would have gone into a gambling deal. Uh, the House is kind of leading in one respect a little bit more than the Senate on this front, uh, just from my vantage point. And so I think this is something that we're going to uh, want to pay attention to over the course of the next one or two weeks. The, the just to explain to our listeners, the tribes have guarded this turf because it's a massive revenue stream for them. Absolutely, and they, and they have the right under Supreme Court precedent from from many many years ago to uh, operate casinos. And so uh, this is something where there had been a agreement, what they called the compact mm-hmm. between the tribe and the state. And so the state realized a whole heap of revenue, uh, and the tribe got exclusive rights to a number of the forms of gambling that that kind of take place. That agreement expired 10 years ago, I believe. And so each year or two, they try to kind of rehash it, bring it back. It's always kind of collapsed under its own weight. Um, and so we've we've kind of been venturing out without much direction in terms of if the state wanted to do more than it currently does, how it would go about that. If you were a betting man... Do you see an expansion of gambling outside the tribes? Pun intended? Yeah. All right. I'd put it at right now about 60-40, but on the uptick. What's up, Doc? On News Radio 100.7, WFLA. 11 minutes after the hour. Oh, really? (laughs) Uh, The morning show. Sal Nuzo with James Madison Institute with us. We now move to the House and the Senate. What's going on? Sure. Uh, COVID liability protections did pass the House. Uh, it does which means what? Which means that uh, businesses and healthcare workers will be held harmless from frivolous litigation as a result of anyone who might want to uh, file a claim that they contracted COVID at the, at the establishment, whether it's a, a restaurant or a nursing home or something along those lines. Okay. It appears the House is, uh, they struck a deal where the House is going to take the Senate's language, which they had combined from two bills into one. And, uh, my guess is they'll pass it to, uh, to the governor's desk later on this week. 
Um, online sales tax parity bill. Uh, last week I had, uh, mentioned that it was supposed to have been taken up by the Senate on Thursday, but it got temporarily postponed. And I was wondering why, but then I heard some, uh, rumors that there may be a concern that the revenue neutrality piece, because what they were going to do is take the money from the sales tax revenue and put it into the unemployment insurance trust fund. Well, that only works for one year. They just infuse the cash. Now, you know, we hope there's not another global pandemic that drops it down, but in year two or three or four, they would have to come back and do that uh, something to make it revenue neutral. So I heard some rumors that there may be concerns that they're really only making it revenue neutral for year one. Joe Gruder's temporarily postponed the bill. It could be something completely different, but that's something that I, I thought was, uh, was, was possible, uh, given what I've been hearing. Uh, on the House side, uh, the House is moving HB1, the anti-rioting bill, uh, but it does have an uphill climb in the Senate. Um, uh, the chair of its first committee stop in uh, in the Senate is Jason Pizzo, a moderate Democrat from South Florida. Um, I- I'm not sure that he's going to kind of be of the posture to give it a, a committee hearing. And so in order for the Senate to even take up the House language, it has to pass one committee and so if it doesn't pass it would effectively die that begs the question that i asked you which i know that listeners are asking right now out loud they're saying it in their cars they're screaming it with a cup of coffee and that is why in the world is a democrat in charge of a committee in a florida democrat uh rather republican dominated Legislature, sure, and the House does not have this this challenge because the House has 120 members and and a, and a, a smaller number of committees, and they're able to distribute the chairmanships appropriately. On the Senate side, you only have 40 uh, senators, and so I think it's uh, 24 of them, uh, and so between subcommittees and major committees and appropriations committees, you just have a situation where there are. Um, uh, you know, kind of center moderate Democrats that, that receive chairmanships. Uh, the cr- criminal justice committee, which would be the first committee stop for this bill, Senator Pizzo has been kind of a champion on, on conservative criminal justice reform policies, which mm-hmm. is why he was given uh, control of the committee. And so, uh, there was a, a number of pieces of criminal justice policy that they wanted to move. And so that was kind of the determination on, on his being, uh, chair of that committee. Uh, but, the anti-rioting bill, because it's a criminal justice bill, that's the first committee stop for it. So it's kind of one of these uh, situations where it, it just kind of that's where the bill was referred. Twenty-one minutes after the hour, of the morning show with Preston Scott, Sal Nuzo, with me, James Madison Institute. And we're talking through the stuff that is rolling out. It's almost like Democrats in the U.S. Congress. They're just rolling out stuff so fast you don't have time to think about it. Well, and the interesting dynamic is that traditionally it has always been the the Florida House that has kind of been very robust and assertive on these broad comprehensive policy uh, ideas. The deliberative Senate has slowed things down. It grinds them down. We've kind of seen this inversion, and I have a theory on that, and that is you have a large freshman class in the House. So 
you know, it makes sense that they're going to be a little bit more surgical as they get their feet wet. It's going to be kind of smaller things or very strategic and tactical policy decisions. Where in the Senate, you've got a large number of House uh, House veterans that have moved over and gotten elected into the Senate, and they're bringing those philosophies to the Senate. And so you've got a number of different policy uh, ideas coming out. Uh, one from uh, Senator Ray Rodriguez on intellectual diversity on college campuses that would survey uh, using the Foundation for Intellectual Rights and in Education uh, survey of uh, all college campuses that's moving to the Senate floor. Um, and so uh, it was passed by the House Spencer Roach uh, HB 233. That'll uh, kind of uh, mirror, mirror that. Uh, an interesting one that I think is going to be of particular interest to a lot of the listeners out there, Senator Dennis Baxley, mm-hmm. uh, the Bright Futures Change, uh, Senate Bill 86. It what does was, he want to do? Well, he wants wanted to restrict the amount of scholarships going to students from majors that don't lead directly to full-time uh, jobs and careers. Um, it was supposed to have been up the week prior, but it got pulled. They wanted to make some adjustments, uh, adjustments to it. What came out really wasn't much better. There was a lot of uproar over this, as you could imagine, if you're parents or, or if you're a student. It passed the committee, but the governor did give a subtle hint publicly that he was really not a fan of the idea. And my guess is is that this one might just kind of quietly go away. We saw something similar last year on vacation rental preemption when the governor came out uh, in such a way. Uh, The fun quote uh, came from a media blogger. And to set up the joke, Senator Dennis Baxley is a funeral home director uh, in his his private career. So he said uh, the media blogger Peter Shore said, when college students and the governor are against your bill, it may be time to bury it, something you've got a whole lot of experience at. So uh, that that was the, the, the quote from there. Uh, another one, uh, Senate Bill 1014. Can would, I just stop you? Oh, sure. Is there a kernel of common sense, though, to Baxley's idea? I think there might be a, a, a bit of... Uh, wisdom in terms of how it approaches because i mean ultimately this is this is tax dollar money well i think that the way that they went about trying to uh to go was just a little bit heavy-handed in terms of of how the approach was i think there's some wisdom in doing some workshopping and, and analyzing how much of bright futures results in career placement and things like that but my guess is just coming out with a bill like this without any kind of uh, analysis or yeah, backup research, yeah. it was just a it was going to be an uphill uh, climb uh, to begin with. Before we get to sure. the week that's coming up, what what one more thing do you want to push? Sure, let's talk about broadband deployment. I think this one's uh, it's flying under the radar, but I think it's an important issue. We have about eight hundred thousand Floridians around the state that cannot get home access to broadband, and if you think about the importance of high speed internet, yeah, in the context of the pandemic oh my schooling working from home it's a new world it's it's a big issue now the the positive on that is florida is one of the best states with this 96 percent connectivity but that does leave a gap of about eight hundred thousand floridians south news though james madison institute every monday during the legislative session don't miss the updates all right we got some news coming up and then more of as i was saying Welcome.
Welcome back to As I Was Saying. I'm Preston Scott. Need more time. And look, I want to try to present a capsule from time to time of the the things that you really should be paying attention to during the program. And, and I understand you can't listen to every show. You should, but you can't. Once a month, I do a history segment with Dr. Ed Moore. Uh, Dr. Moore is kind of a, uh, a historian by way of hobby, a great researcher. And we decided this year we were going to focus on the United States Constitution. And this week we were going to drill down to the Bill of Rights. And so we pick up there. One of the interesting tidbits. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Two-thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. Are you ready to protect your family? Well, you could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. This new solar generator has double the capacity and is expandable, so you can run big appliances like your fridge even longer. And best of all, the new solar generator is fume-free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas ever. Over 150,000 Americans already trust Patriot Power Generators. Go right now to 4patriots.com slash on the right to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included for free. So go to 4patriots.com slash on the right. That's 4patriots, the number 4, patriots.com slash on the right. I think that most people aren't aware that originally there were 12. The Bill of Rights is the first 10 amendments to the Constitution, but what Congress sent out to the states for ratification had 12. And uh, so what we call the First Amendment was actually the Third Amendment. The Second Amendment about firearms was actually... But I feel like I'm listening to a Mel Brooks movie with the Ten Commandments. There were 15. 15, Ten. Ten. Actually, my youngest son got in an argument with a Sunday school teacher once about that because he kept insisting that there were 15. So there were originally more... More than the original Yeah, the original number. 12, and the first two then, the old two, uh, were kind of interesting. Uh, one, The second one had to do with, uh, uh, which ended up becoming, I think, the 27th Amendment. It only took it about you know, 100, 200 years to get mm-hmm. passed. Uh, had to do with uh, no member of Congress shall get a raise until after the next election. You know, you couldn't vote yourself a raise. Uh, and the first one was uh, apportionment, basically, uh, how how many members of Congress there would be. And the way they set it up, they did uh, one per 30,000. So each member would represent 30,000 people. Now, I think that number somewhere over 700,000. Each congressman represents about 700,000. But originally it was one per 30, and it had a provision that it would bump up to one per 40, and then one per 50,000. If you did the math on it all, that would mean that Congress right now would probably have around 6,000 members of Congress. goodness. If that had passed. You know, you know there, there's, a, well, I won't, there's a part of me that's like, that wouldn't be bad because we'd have a total log jam and they could do no harm. Be, I think it would be exactly like it is now. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it would be like five people 
controlling, probably even more so. If you had 6,000 of them up there, it'd be chaos, but they'd be happy to get an office. See, so you know, you could buy them off real easy. <laughs> the Bill of Rights. Yeah. Uh, it was passed in 1791. It took th- roughly three and a half years after the passage of the Constitution uh, to pass the Bill of Rights. Uh, it went out. Why to, the separation? Oh, uh, well, the, it was a big argument in getting the Constitution passed to begin with that. Uh, there were, it was a federalist and anti-federalist argument, and the anti-federalists were very concerned that the Constitution gave the central government too much power, and they wanted to delineate uh, the rights of the individuals and the rights of the states in the amendments. Uh, it shows you how much trust, though, there was in those days that they, in fact, did pass the Constitution and went three and a half years before the Bill of Rights got passed. So when you would you think that occur today of uh, Nancy Pelosi told Mitch McConnell, don't worry about it. We'll take care of that later. You know, maybe when you said it in the modern context, impossible. And that's that's the reality of the way they dealt with one another back then. Even the ones that were really what you would call uh political enemies, per se, Mm -hmm. trusted one another. If your word said, yes, we're going to do this, I I wouldn't back off from it because because I couldn't get it now. Three and a half years to get those Ten Amendments passed. And and it's an interesting mix. We'll get into that after the break. But it's an interesting mix of which states jumped on it right away and which ones had uh, still had reservations. When they initially passed the Constitution, wrote the Constitution, and then presented it for passage, so, was it with an eye on the eventual Bill of Rights? Oh, yeah. The, okay. The, they, the people agreed to it, but we have to have this. It just took a while to get it done because it had to be passed through the states as well, not just the Constitutional Convention. Dr. Ed Moore is with me. He's our resident historian. Forget what the resume says. He's the historian of the morning show with <laughs> Preston Scott. You know, the goal of these segments with Dr. Moore is to not do an exhaustive, in-depth study here. It's to get you curious, to take ownership of the information sit down and learn a little bit more you know hillsdale college offers online you can get it online youtube free of charge an incredible course on the constitution lectures that are just amazing about an hour each sit down with your kids get some of that information man we are just hurting badly because we haven't properly taught it and it's evident Kids don't arrive at the beliefs they have today about socialism being all that in a bag of chips when you properly teach the exceptionalism of America, not the perfection, but how unique America is in all of the countries of the world because of that founding document, the Constitution. Anyway, I could go on and on about this, but monthly, usually one of the latter Thursdays of the month, I have Dr. Moron and we talk about the Constitution. So make sure you join me on the morning show. And I'll give you a little tidbits here. But there was a lot more we talked about. You can go back and listen to the podcast. We also, on that very same day, on Thursday, talked with Steve Stewart. And Steve, of course, talks about a lot of local issues. He also weighs in on some of the things going on in the state and how those things impact the local uh, community, Tallahassee, Leon County, the region. And we got to talking about 
the mayor, John Daly, and his comments relative to voter suppression. I put in air quotes because there isn't any. If there is suppression, it's usually on the other side. Guys holding baseball bats trying to intimidate people at the polls. But at any rate, Steve offered this. Our mayor weighed in on some of the voter suppression legislation going around the country, and I think it's very important. I mean, obviously, we have a big issue with getting just facts out because of the way the media is dealing with a lot of different things. But drop boxes are are sort of the term now of art for voting, and if you're against drop boxes, you're you know against uh, you're against voting. And and one of the bills in the Florida legislature in the House actually allows drop boxes, but what it does. As it says, the drop boxes can't be open 24 hours. They can only be open the hours that the supervisor of elections office is open. They've got to be manned. And if you turn in a ballot, you've got to show an ID um, that matches that ballot. When you drop it in the box? And you drop it in the box. Now, I don't – if that's voter suppression, okay, then we're, we're really off the rail there. And it's interesting because I just saw a poll that said nearly three-quarters of Americans, all races, believe in voter ID. Right. And so the problem here is that the reason why they're doing these laws is because of what happened in other states like in Georgia, yeah. where they put out a lot of drop boxes with no security. All they did was there, it was open 24 hours like a Waffle House and people were dropping in. It's, a, it's like a mailbox. Right. And you didn't you had no one there to check IDs. You didn't know who was turning in the absentee ballot. Um, There's supposed to be video surveillance. But, you know, who's going to watch video surveillance? Well, what can you tell when everyone's wearing a mask? Right. And so. So anyway, that I think, listen, I'm not saying that everything in this bill that's moving for the legislature is something that I agree with. But the, you know, the the demagoguing of drop boxes and voter suppression, I really hope that our listeners will understand what the difference is here. And now there's a Senate bill that wants to do away with drop boxes, which I would favor personally. Yeah, I would, too. But the point being that is the whole idea is that when I go to a precinct and vote, they ask for a driver's license. Um, nobody is talking to me once I get my ballot because there's no election nearing allowed in the precinct and I have to sign a book. Okay. Well, I think that anybody else that votes has to at least meet some of those requirements. Um, and that's the issue we're going to come up with because there's more and more money now being put up by nonprofits yeah. to go around to look every house. If you're doing vote by mail, every house is a precinct. Do you have Tallahassee reports coming to your home? Subscribe. It's the only, only real investigative reporting that's going on. Unbiased, based on facts. Go to TallahasseeReports.com. All right, we've got more to come, including our post-millennial Grant Allen next, and some final things on As I Was Saying. Welcome back to As I Was Saying. Each and every week, we carve out some time for the post-millennial producer of the morning show to join us. And it's that time. Good morning, I'm Grant Allen, and here's how I see it. Now, this past weekend and later tonight, um, I'm going to be quite excited. Last weekend, obviously, uh, because my alma mater... Oral Roberts University has done the unprecedented as a 15 seed 
make it to the Sweet 16, and tonight they play their Sweet 16 matchup against third seed Arkansas. When I was a student at ORU, um, I was a journalism major, and I spent a lot of time covering ORU basketball. Um, Some of the guys that are getting national notoriety, people that are being interviewed on SportsCenter, uh, specifically Kevin O'Banner, head coach Paul Mills. I never met Max Asmus, but uh, because he came to ORU after I was already graduated, but Kevin O'Banner was there, and Paul Mills was there as the head coach, and so I've interviewed him a couple times, and so it's really cool to see this uh, happening for ORU. I'm excited for them. It's really cool to see, see ORU finally get back to some basketball glory uh, some basketball glory that has has been long overdue because um, the last time they were even competitive nationally was in like the 1960s and 1970s. Um, but as I kind of expected, when ORU gained some national notoriety, your average American has no idea who Oral Roberts is or what Oral Roberts University is. They never heard of it. A small private school in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And the national sports world was going to get more curious as to who is this school. And they were going to do a deep dive into who this university is. And it was a matter of time before this story came out. We talked about it on the morning show on Thursday morning. And the article from uh, the USA Today opinion page by Hamal Javeri, Oral Roberts University isn't the feel-good March Madness story we need. Gives a little bit of background to the university. And it reads, and yet, as the spotlight grows on Oral Roberts and it reaps the goodwill, publicity, and revenue of a national title run, the university's deeply bigoted anti-LGBTQ plus policies can't and shouldn't be ignored. And she goes on to explain how she's basically calling on the NCAA to prevent uh, Oral Roberts, if they continue on in the tournament, to keep them from preventing, uh, to keep them from moving on into the tournament because of their quote-unquote history of bigoted whatever i don't know and they talk about specifically the honor code and they came across the honor code by just going to oru.edu i signed the honor code every year that i was there there are some things in the honor code that are kind of uncharacteristic for most student honor codes at universities but that's the point of oru the media has gone and pointed out that including uh, sticking to biblical practices in terms of human sexuality, uh, believing that, that, that sex is only for one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage, and that anything outside of that is considered sin, and ORU requires their students to adhere to that. That's not controversial among Christian universities. But they do have things, and the media has pointed out as well, that there are some different things of... Um, I guess that they they have described as kind of bygones of the past, archaic notions, like you are not allowed to wear shorts to class. I was actually in supportive of that. Like, get up, put some clothes on, go to class. But one of the other things is no social dancing, and there was a meme on social media about ORUs and the big dance, but they're not allowed to dance on campus, and that technically is still a rule. There's no social dancing on campus. But I can tell you it's like not enforced at all. But this is a primary example of how biblical values, being a conservative in politics and in Christian doctrine, is so counterculture. I never thought I would have lived to see the day where adhering to biblical values was counterculture. And I think the most asinine part of this article 
is this one paragraph. I'll read it. As a private university and under the banner of fundamentalist Christian beliefs, the school is free to impose whatever standards of behavior they see fit, even if those standards are wildly out of line with modern society and the basic values of human decency. Well, I hate to break it to you, but this is a a clear revelation of how biblically illiterate much of our modern society has become. We don't live a straight and narrow life because we want to. We do it because we're commanded to by God and through his holy scripture. And I'll tell you right now, ORU will not compromise on biblical truth. I'm Grant Allen, and that's how I see it. It's a shame there are haters of Oral Roberts University simply because they have Christian beliefs. There are haters because the guy named the school after himself. Okay. Whatever. Um, I'm pulling for him. I know a lot about ORU. My wife's a graduate of ORU. Obviously, Grant Allen, my producer's a graduate of ORU. Go Golden Eagles. Also pulling for the Knowles this weekend in the NCAA tournament. Here's a segment from earlier in the week on the morning show. It is reflected in email that I get. Uh, good morning, the morning show with Preston Scott. I'm Preston. Grant Allen over there. The email address, Preston at iHeartRadio.com. There, there, there's, a, there's a lot of discouragement out there, and, and it's justifiable. I get it. I absolutely get it. I looked at my wife the other day, however, and I just simply said, yeah, we know that this is terrible what's happening, but we also know God's got this. Now, we play a role in in, in the things that unfold. You know, what happens is not God's perfect will. It's what God knows is going to happen, but there's a difference. We have a role to play. God knows exactly what's going to happen, and he has a plan for all of it. How we tie into it is up to us. He just knows whether we're going to do it or not. But there are things happening out there that that are encouraging and I I try to share those as much as I can share the things that aren't encouraging you know this is a balance a tightrope we a dynamic thing we have to endure the things that are going on we've got to be aware of we've got to be knowledgeable knowledgeable of and we've got to think about we've got to think through the right way to react to those situations if you will it's kind of like a giant version of the personal defense segments we do with Charlie and J.D. Have a plan for what unfolds. And so we we have this little dynamic tension that's going on. There are things that we should be concerned about. I'm going to talk about those. But I'm also going to encourage you. Check this out. The big story is not that Donald Trump congratulated James O'Keefe of Project Veritas. And I need to get James back on the show. I've had him on the show before. The big story is that a New York judge was asked by the New York Times to dismiss a defamation lawsuit brought against the Times by Project Veritas. And the New York judge, a Supreme Court justice in New York, said no. But he didn't just say, no, I am not going to dismiss. He had some very strong words in his ruling. The reporters by the Times... Maggie Astor and Tiffany Sue, H-S-U, 
Describe Project Veritas reporting as deceptive, false, with no verifiable evidence. In the motion to dismiss Veritas, Project Veritas had to present reasons why the lawsuit should continue. And so when it was done, the judge, Supreme Court Justice Charles Wood, wrote the following. The facts submitted by Veritas could indicate more than standard garden variety media bias and support a plausible inference of actual malice. There is substantial basis in law to proceed to permit the plaintiff to conduct discovery and then to attempt to meet its higher standard of proving liability through clear and convincing evidence of actual malice. So let's back up. The judge states the facts submitted, the evidence submitted by Project Veritas is more than a standard media bias story out there. In fact, there's evidence to suggest actual malice. He went on to say this. If a writer interjects an opinion in a news article and will seek to claim legal protections as opinion, it stands to reason that the writer should have an obligation to alert the reader, including a court, that may need to determine whether it's whether it is factor opinion that it is opinion. What does that mean? What I have been telling you for the 20 years I've done this show because I know the media. I've grown up in and around the media. They have lost sight of the difference between reporting and and running their reporting through their personal biases. And they report personal biases as facts. Project Veritas backs up everything they do with facts because they have recordings. Out of time. Back next week with another edition of As I Was Saying. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.